This week's episode of the Skift Airline Weekly Lounge is brought to you by Blue Sky, a new service from the Pittsburgh International Airport. Visit blueskypit.com and subscribe to get weekly headlines on airport and aviation news, trends, and ideas. That's blueskypit.com. Hello, and welcome to the Skift Airline Weekly Lounge. I'm your host, Madhu Krishnan, the editor of Skift Airline Weekly, and I'm here with John Heimlich, Vice President and Chief Economist for Airlines for America. We had a minute to catch up at the Boyd Group's International Aviation Forecast Summit in August in Las Vegas. John, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Madhu. Uh, so I remember many, many years ago, um, you had a slide that you showed at, uh, at airline conferences that uh, this was prior to consolidation that showed, um, I believe it was the, correct me if I'm wrong, the market capitalization of Starbucks was greater than the combination of all the airlines in the U.S., is that right? Yeah, that sounds familiar. It was quite some time ago. It was some time ago. So since then, you know, there's been consolidation, the economy's taken off, um, you know, management has changed airlines. And then, you know, I think it was just a couple of years ago that the CEO of American, Doug Parker, um, said, very famously said, uh, that the airline industry has changed so much it will never make, it will never lose money to that degree again. Um, and, you know, there, there have been a lot of people who said that Parker was tempting fate, but uh, I just wanted to get your take on it. What do you, do you think the airline industry has changed so much in the U.S. that the dark days of the early 2000s are not likely to return? I think certainly in our lifetimes, you know, we've seen we've seen a fundamental transformation of this business. Um, you know, it, it's generally a new group of management and, and folks who were in the industry, generally in one fashion or another, who've who've seen uh, the perils of growing too fast, growing too light, or locking into too many fixed costs, or just learning how to be agile in this business and anticipating the next downturn and shoring up the balance sheets, investing for the future. So I, I think when it you know comes to the next recession, which are always inevitable, the, the shift is we, what was then, uh, when we spoke over a decade ago, uh, a threat to existence is now merely a threat to earnings. And hmm. I think we have much better durability over a whole business cycle. Well, what, can we drill down a little bit? What do you think has changed? Is it management? Is it the way the, the business is structured? I mean, what what... What's yeah, I, I, I think it's sort of an all of the above. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it is a change in management, change in leadership. I think it's having witnessed the greatest fuel run-up, price run-up in history, the worst recession we've had since the Great Depression, the global exposure. But also, you know, the, we had fundamental restructuring of this industry. We had a lot of old models and some new models that came in and left that... Um, couldn't couldn't survive that kind of volatility. Um, we had some chapter sevens. We had some mergers. We had organic growth. We had the the shutdown of some unprofitable hubs. The creation of a few new organic hubs and, and uh, uh, focus cities. And it's a different industry. And we we had even the airlines that survived and went through chapter eleven, whether or not they merged or not they sort of permanently cleansed of some uh, overhanging costs that, that uh, didn't come. And they're taking advantage, you know, the newfound finances, uh, financial health, they're taking advantage of those to uh, not just pay down debt, but as you know, invest in new equipment, invest in facilities, hire better talent, uh, invest in, you know, all kinds of mobile tools for the business, aircraft health monitoring systems. 
on and on to prepare themselves uh, for the future. Oh. Also, I think around when we spoke about a decade ago, you um, and this is this is ongoing. I mean, you know, the airline industry then was particularly vulnerable to exogenous shocks, right? You know, geopolitical shocks. Uh, we nine uh, eleven had dealt a pretty serious blow to the airline industry. The, SARS, volcanoes, pandemics. Yeah, the uh, the yeah. spike in fuel prices to one hundred and forty eight dollars a barrel. Do you think the, I guess my question is, do you think the industry now, with all the changes that have occurred in management and structure, um, is better able to deal with exogenous shocks, or have we just been lucky? Uh, I, I, think, I think this, um, this group of you know, leadership and rank and file uh, is better prepared, and they've taken steps to better prepare. Um, it is still an industry that I think is more vulnerable to uh, weather and other kinds of shocks than many others, uh, but is more prepared than it's, it's ever been. It, it's hard to, having gone through the 2000s, you know, what could we possibly see <laughs> that we didn't see in that span of eight to nine years? Um, you know, 9-11 really through end of 2009. Uh, I, I do think they're fundamentally better prepared, absolutely. Yeah. And what about if you looked in your crystal ball? I mean, what do you see the next five, say, five, ten years, what do you think, uh, how do you think this, this industry will change? Yeah, well, it's a great question, and uh, it's clearly a theme of this conference. You know, um, we already, as a, as a nation, um, surpassed the last uh, expansion cycle as the longest expansion in U.S. history. So it's, it, it's very likely that you know, in the next five years, if not sooner, we will see another economic downturn. Uh, so that'll be the first sort of real stress test of the transformation of this industry. You know, uh, is there something different? Have they, you know, learned um, to really put, um, you know, financial returns ahead of market share? Will we really be able to avoid the painful cuts in service, in uh, employment, and uh, in maybe some of the amenities that uh, we did in previous downturns. I, I think we will. Um, I think some of the other exciting things, you know, heavy, heavy focus on technology, automation. I mean, that, that all, it just seems like that's accelerated. There's more proof points. You know, we have, we have a, we're at a point now where even the government is doing it at, at pace with talking about biometrics to process people and airports using it you know, heat maps within the building to mm -hmm. optimize flows of passengers. You know, the government has sort of clearly bought into pre-check and global entry, trusted traveler. How do I give you that value proposition? You know, I think we'll continue to see uh, segmentation of the customer cabin. How do I reach diverse customer segments uh, within, the, within the real estate of a single aircraft? You're now, this is not just a U.S. phenomenon. We're seeing more international premium economy, for example, by carriers on both sides of the pond, or both sides of both ponds, I <laughs> should say. Um, we're going to see probably more attempts at a transatlantic low-cost carrier. Uh, I think the um, XLR airplane is, a, for the folks listening in, that's extra long-range, narrow body is what we're talking about. That's, that's a game changer that's gonna open up uh, narrow body routes to um, smaller cities on, on both sides of the ocean in a way we haven't seen in, in 
perhaps ever. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, everything relating to the environment is is now front and center. It's probably a top two or three issue easily where we wouldn't say, have said that in the past decade or even necessarily in the current decade. And this is this is noise, it's carbon emissions, it's recycling, it's um, carbon offsets, um, you know, use of, use of plastics and things. There's going to be a lot of scrutiny. Uh, we've talked about this internally. It is not just geographical, it's generational. Hmm. This is going to be front and center. We heard uh, Barry Biffle this morning at Frontier, an ultra low cost carrier, talk about how the it, CEO of Frontier, the right. CEO of Frontier, to talk about how important it is uh, to his clientele mm-hmm. to, to be green. And they have policy where kids fly free, and they have a uh, being, you know, in, a lot of them in Colorado, that's something front and center on, on their minds. So that's going to be a major uh, theme throughout the business. Uh, as, as you've seen this decade, we've moved more and more toward customer sort of. Um, self-service functionality, whether it's bag drop, checking in, uh, boarding pass, you know, we, we may, um, bag tracking, mm-hmm. you know, the capability to know where my bag is at, at all times, uh, to, you know, reverse auctions for, for uh, you know, overbooked situations. Uh, use of technology will be, I think, even more prominent in the next decade. And of course, we're gonna have um, a lot of the massive fleet renewal that occurred during this de- decade, some of that will continue in the next few years, and we'll see um, the last retirements. As you know, September 4th, Americans retiring the last of its MDAs. Right. Some of it's ha- even happening before the end of this year, let alone the end of this decade. Uh, and we may see you know, new entry, right? David Nealman has talked about mm-hmm. bringing starting this uh, carrier Moxie with an, an, a new aircraft type, A220, uh, in 2021. Uh, JetBlue uh, really is the first, I think, uh, U.S. LCC transatlantic right. service proposal we're talking about. So there are changes uh, all over the business, and, and we're going to see many things that I haven't even been able to predict. You think that uh, the transatlantic low-fare business model isn't broken? You think that somebody will figure out how to make it work? Yeah, I, I think, you know, when we think about low fare, we've traditionally thought about it uh, in the back of economy class, mm-hmm. but I, I think what JetBlue has in mind as a one carrier example is also bringing some form of low fare to the premium seating and uh, a business seating. And, and of course, it's already a transatlantic is also is already very competitive, but I think um, you know, we've had Norwegian attempt and others, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, JetBlue wants to bring something different to the marketplace, um, you know. And we'll see various carriers try and fail, but I, I think we'll see some some successes for sure. Uh, if we think about, look, there was a point in time where domestically we didn't think people would fly transcontinental low fare. Right. Well, Stage lengths, you know, trip lengths for going across the pond in many markets is the same or even less than some of the transcontinental fares. And, you know, we, we can never underestimate the price sensitivity of the American public. So um, they'll, I think maybe if you give them good Wi-Fi, they may be uh, a- able to... Uh, uh, to deal with those longer lengths. Well, that, the Wi-Fi, I'm glad you brought up Wi-Fi because um, I just wanted to really quickly ask you if, if, if you think we've reached peak ancillary fare. Do you, in other words, do you think there are other things that, uh, that airlines might begin charging for? 
Um, you know, I can't really speculate on, on how that's going to shake out. I, I think there's still going to be attempts to perfect the sort of merchandising or unbundling model. You might see more packages, you know, fairs of families, like mm. the, what I call the car wash model, mm -hmm. where, you know, this includes X, Y, and Z, but this includes X, Y, and Z, and one, two, three. <laughs> uh, and there's this more clarity around what's offered. Or it might even say, hey, here's a fair, but I'll also give you a two-day free lounge pass. Mm. Or I'll give you this plus 500 miles. So um, I think maybe it's more personalization. You've heard of dynamic price mm -hmm. offerings. And as distribution systems evolve, um, just like you know, Target does or Walmart or Amazon, you, you will, Nordstrom, you will see, I think, more personalized offers with more creative things. We think today about fares and bags and Wi-Fi, but we haven't thought about bundling it with mileage offers uh, lounge access, you know, maybe high-speed Wi-Fi, and, and and of course, you know, Wi-Fi is uh, across the board becoming the norm. Spirit's right. putting it on their airplanes. Most people now are migrating towards satellite and high-speed Wi-Fi, so that's generally become an expectation. John, we talked a bit about um, transcontinental, transatlantic, things that are happening at the larger end of the market. What is going on, and this has been an area of concern for smaller communities for quite some time, but what, what, what do you see, the, if you look in your crystal ball again, what will happen with smaller communities in air service? Well, as you know, uh, a lot of the smaller aircraft uh, have been retired, are continuing to be retired. Uh, Fifty-seaters get a lot of attention, but there were, you know, 37-seaters and even nine-seaters. And yes, they're still... <laughs> some of those out there, Cape Air and some of the Alaskan carriers. Uh, but in, in general, uh, the manufacturers really aren't making a replacement for the 50-seater smaller. Um, the, the ones that have been built were predicated generally on $20 oil. And a lot of people now, one of the uh, ironies is that the, the success of the low-cost carrier, an ultra-low-cost carrier, has siphoned traffic away from some of the tiniest Airport. So I think we'll have, we'll continue to see air service grow, but not necessarily out of as many airports. Huh. Uh, so we will we'll have some uh, you know diversion of traffic to nearby airports that might be connected via cars, or buses, or trains. And um, you know we will see markets that can sustain a seventy seater or more um, be served accordingly. Um, if we have enough pilots to fly them, which right. is a whole other topic yeah. that we, we could spend another podcast on. But uh, uh, it, it's really a conundrum that not everyone solved, but um, you know, small communities will still be connected to the grid. It, it remains to be seen whether it's via airports in their hometown or via the nearest airport within driving distance. Interesting. So you, you think it'll become, uh, small, air, small community air service could become more intermodal, so not necessarily air service, just because small community transportation. Because, you know, here we are at the, the Boyd Group Forecast Summit, and, and Mike Boyd himself talked about earlier today, you know, he talked about, yeah, Topeka has air service that's called Kansas City. Hmm. Muskegon, Michigan has air service that's called Grand Rapids. Right. So these are the kinds of, you know, questions that, you know, every airport wants that flight in their backyard, but it's, unless you have the right airplane and uh, you can afford, you know, to set up uh, airport personnel and hearts and, and line maintenance in all those uh, small areas uh, it, and have enough pilots right. to d divert those resources, it, it's not clear, uh, you know, how many airports uh, 
uh, will be having a scheduled air service. The, you know, the good news is one way or another they'll be connected to the global grid. Right. Well, I mean, that, that brings up so many issues. As you said, the pilot, pilot shortage, um, the general upgaging of aircraft over the last 15 years. Um, you don't see a replacement for the, the 30, a viable replacement for the 30 or 50 seat um, aircraft? Well, I'd love to see one. It's just not being manufactured mm -hmm. right now. And I'm not, I'm not aware. Uh, I, I think it's, it's an opening. I think there is a need. Generally, you know, I'm not a manufacturing expert, but I've generally, they need to, you know, knowledge of a market of several hundred units to justify the capital outlay to develop such right. a program. Uh, they're not going to invest to build a new 30 to 50 seater and, and sell 90 airplanes. It's just not going to work like that. So, and, and they're, um, and, and also you have to, you know, one thing that these, these are manufacturers who sell globally. Mm. Um, the United States and to some extent Canada are somewhat unique in that we've got um, this vast geographic area and, and lots of uh, diffuse population and, and not so much of a rail system. Right. So, uh, you know, they want to be able to sell airplanes not just in the United States, but, but elsewhere. So even if they had a few customers here, uh, you know, they, they might not be ready to commit. So it, it's something that people are watching. I think uh, Skift itself has, has written about uh, the prospect of hybrid electric propulsion with short-haul aircraft right. in the future, but I, I suspect we're at least 10 years away from that, and then the, the question is, can we develop battery density to get us even farther distances? So that's aspirational, and there is some investment there, but I'm not sure we're gonna see it in the 2020s. And then as we said a few times, once you develop that aircraft, who's gonna fly it, right? Yeah. Well, good question. There's uh, <laughs> plenty to look forward to in the decade ahead. Absolutely. John, thank you for taking the time. My pleasure, Manu, thank you.